is one of the verses that talks about to Laodicea, and it basically says this, that Laodicea has one opinion of themselves. They, they say, look, I am rich and increased with goods and need of nothing. But God has an opinion of them that's quite different. So you don't even realize that really that you're poor and wretched and miserable and blind and naked. And so the point is, is that in our physical lives, yes, we have abundance. In our physical lives, we have a lot, and we really do see ourselves as rich and increased with goods and really with need of nothing. Our needs are met. We're really in the world of luxuries now. And God says, yeah, but spiritually, not so much. You've kind of forsaken the whole spiritual thing, and that's a problem in the characteristic of the Laodicean church age in which we live. And so what we have here is this parable literally is written to warn people just like us, Christian believers in a time when we have abundance and think we have abundance and don't even realize how poor we are before God. We don't always understand how God wants us to view the wealth that he's so richly blessed us with. And certainly he has blessed us with it. So in your mind may be a couple of questions, so I've addressed those questions for you. The first one is, why is he a fool? I mean, are you trying to say that he's a fool because he worked hard and he was successful? Of course not. Absolutely not. He was a fool because he was selfish. You gotta get that. He was a fool because his plan was, I'm gonna save it for my old age, and his plan was never realized because he never got to grow old. His plan was, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. And none of that ever happened because he's not in control of the most important things in life, which are life and death. (laughs) And so he was a fool because it was all selfish. He had worked and, and earned all this just to keep it all for himself. That was the foolish act. So you ask the question, is retirement savings wrong? Retirement savings is wrong only if it is the totality of your financial planning. Do you understand that? Please don't leave here saying I said something that I did not say. Retirement planning is wrong if it is all you use the income God gives you to save for. If it does not include anything else that is of real, genuine value. Look at verse number 21. Because after he calls him a fool and says, okay, your life's going to be ended, who's going to get all your stuff then? Verse 21, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So no, of course not. If you are blessed and you have the ability to save and all of those things are fine, as long as you are also investing in God's kingdom, as long as you are also looking toward investing in your financial portfolio, it includes more than just me. That's the message. That's what he's trying to get across right here. And you need to understand that the typical Laodicean, wealthy person, thinks primarily, secondarily, tertiarily about himself and not about God. And that's why the testimony from Revelation 3.17 stands for that. But y'all, it is absolutely possible that we can live our lives like Philadelphian believers. It is possible that we can live our lives in, in such a way that God would praise us for doing exactly what he wants us to do. 
So the next thing that we're going to look at is the lesson for all true disciples of Jesus Christ. Listen, anytime Jesus Christ tells a parable, or by the way, anytime Jesus Christ performs a physical miracle, healing, feeding the multitudes, walking on water, raising the dead, any of the physical miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ are not done exclusively for the benefit of being supernatural. They are done with a lesson associated. And the parables are stories, they're illustrations to give us an ultimate lesson. And in many of the cases, as in this case, the lesson is now expounded upon after the parable is given. So the story of the rich man nails for us who he's talking to. He's talking to us. The lesson then, he turns to his disciples and he, and he makes some things very, very clear. The first thing he makes clear is don't worry about physical provision. Don't worry about physical provision. He's like, I got that. Verses 22 and 23. And he said unto his disciples, therefore, as a result of this parable, this story I just laid out for you, I say unto you, Take no thought for your life. What you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. So he says, do not sweat this stuff. Do not worry about, now here's the key, you've got to get this word, the necessities of life. What are the necessities of life? Well, here in this passage, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 8 would be another one. Having fruit, food and raiment, clothing, let us be there with content. The necessities of life are food and clothing, okay? Y'all are here today. You're not starving. Thankfully, everybody's dressed. We're good. Okay, so those are the necessities. And God says, look, I got that covered. All the other stuff we want, not addressed in this passage. This is, the, this is what's addressed. And he uses the expression, take no thought. All right. You maybe have heard this before. Somebody tries to tell you, okay, here's a test for you. I want you to we'll use you guys, okay? You can be our guinea pigs. We love you guys. All right. So here's, here's the quiz. In, in the next 10 seconds, I want you to make sure whatever you do, do not think about a pink elephant. Do not. Do not think about it. Immediately, your mind Oh, there it is. You can't not, how can you not think about food? Some of us would say, amen, yeah. How can you not think about clothing? Well, this phrase, take no thought, is translated some different ways, okay? Uh, It's translated later on in this same passage as the word to seek. In the positive, it would be seek ye rather, and we'll see that in a minute. So to take no thought means don't seek after, or we could say later on in the passage it also says fear not. In other words, don't worry about. It's fair to say that literally what he's saying, take no thought. Don't don't spend all your time caring for and worrying about the necessities of life. I got your back. I got that taken care of. Now probably what's going on in your mind is you're like, you know what, I kind of don't worry about food and clothing. I don't. And that's true because most of us in North America, we have plenty. We can just go to the store and buy what we need. We can make it. We may not have the designer labels that we think we want or need or whatever that case is, but we have stuff, okay? The things that we worry about are luxuries. They're toys, are they not? 
which, by the way, just proves the fact that we are among the world's most wealthy. That, that's all I'm trying to point out. The, things, the fact that we don't worry, listen, there's a lot of people in this world that worry every day about where they're going to get their next meal and whether they got enough to wear. I mean, that's a reality for some people. So the story goes on, and you may be familiar with the story, and we're not going to look at a lot of detail, but the question that I would pose to you, and it sounds a little ridiculous, but God poses it, so I'm going to pose it. Are you more important to God than birds? Now, you know, according to PETA, you're not, you know, but according to God, you are. He made man in his image, right? He made us like him. When Jesus Christ came to earth, he came to earth as a man, not a bird, to save men, not birds. Of course we're more important than birds. And the passage literally goes on and talks about that. Verse 24, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, uh, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? They don't need retirement savings. They don't need bank accounts. They don't need those things. God gives them, again, the necessities of life. He pr- and listen, birds, great, awesome, love them. We're more important. We're more important. And so you don't have to worry about that. It goes on and it talks about flowers of the field. Same way, okay? Same way. But rather than worrying about all the physical provisions, again, that's our point. Don't worry about the physical provisions. Go down to verse number 29. And seek not, that's the same thing, take no thought. It's the exact same word. Seek not what ye shall eat and what ye shall drink, neither be ye of a doubtful mind. And so as I'm reading through this, I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, don't even worry about it. Don't even think about it. Don't even think about food. Don't even worry about that stuff. Okay, I don't want to say God's a liar, man. I don't want to say that I don't believe what he says, but does that really work? I mean, really? And so he goes on and he says in that very verse, he knows we're thinking that. He's like, hey, and by the way, don't be of a doubtful mind. Don't be of a doubtful mind about these things because I just said I'd do it. By the way, I pretty much do what I say. No, let me back that up. I always do what I say. And you can rest assured that it's absolutely fine. Verse number 30. For all these things, the necessities of life, do the nations of the world seek after. When when the Bible, Jesus uses the nations of the world, he's talking about the Gentile nations. He's talking about the non-believing peoples, the people outside of Israel, the people of God. He's talking about lost people. In other words, if you spend your life worrying and fretting about all the physical things of life, you are simply behaving like the unbelieving nations of this world. That's a characteristic of an unsaved man. It's a characteristic of a non-believing person. Okay? So don't worry about that. It goes on rather, and it says, your father knoweth that you have need of these things. I know not everybody had a wonderful home life and some people when they have thoughts of their father, earthly father, it's not always positive. I'm very sensitive to that. But many of us, probably most of us, have a fairly decent memory of our earthly father and how he worked hard to provide for us 
and, and amidst the difficulties or problems or mistakes that our dads might have made, one thing probably most all our dads did is provide for us. And he's like, look, God is your father. He's going to take care of you, man. He's going to take care of you. So don't worry about those things, but rather be, do invest in God's kingdom. Verse number 31, but rather seek, it's the same word now, now take some thought about this. Seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things, these physical things, shall be added unto you. Seek the kingdom of God. That's what we're to go after. That's what we're to focus on. That's what we're to be interested in. That's what he says, okay, in the story of a certain rich man who was greatly blessed and kept it all for himself. And he says, you're a fool. Why? Because sure, you had the stuff, but you were not rich toward God. How can I get rich toward God? Well, don't worry about the physical stuff. I got that, but seek my kingdom. And the kingdom of God, for those of you that don't know, is very clearly defined in the scriptures, and I have some references for you, as a spiritual kingdom. It's not a physical kingdom. It's not the things that we see. It's not the food that we eat and all that sort of thing. Luke 17, 20, and 21. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. It's not something you can see with your eyes. Neither shall they say, lo, here, or lo, there, for behold, the kingdom of God is where? It's within you. It's a spiritual kingdom. John chapter 3 and verse number 3, the famous story of Jesus and Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is spiritual and you have to become a spiritual son of God. You have to surrender your heart and life, ask him to forgive you your sins and come into your life as your personal Lord and Savior. And the Bible says that your previously dead human spirit comes to life when God's Holy Spirit enters into you and takes up residence in you. And it is literally new life that did not previously exist. It is a new birth. If you're new to church and you hear that term born again and you always thought that was a little wacky and it sounded a little weird and it made you feel a little funny, it's just a Bible word that Jesus uses, except a man be born of the Spirit. God's Spirit comes in and gives him spiritual life. Except you are a saved man, you can't possibly see the kingdom of God because it is a spiritual kingdom for spiritual people. Romans 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So that's what the kingdom of God is. That's the kingdom, the spiritual, non-physical kingdom of God is the thing that God says, rather, don't worry about the stuff physically, rather seek that. Spend your efforts and time seeking after this spiritual kingdom. Verse number 32, fear not, little flock. You can just hear the love in his voice. Listen, my sheep, I love you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Your loving heavenly father, which by the way is the omnipotent God of the universe, enjoys providing for you. He enjoys it, man. Don't you want to give God some enjoyment? Let him take care of those things for you. That's what he wants to do. 
So you may ask yourself, so okay, what exactly am I supposed to do then? Just not work? <laughs> Some of you are like, I hope he says yes. <laughs> am I just not supposed to work? Am I just not supposed to provide? And I'm just supposed to you know, sit on my back porch and, and, and expect the ravens to bring me food like Elijah or whatever? I mean, you know, is that what I'm really expected to do? No, of course not. The Bible says very clearly in 2 Thessalonians, if a man does not work, neither should he eat. Okay, so I'm a little confused now. <laughs> no, you won't be confused. It's really very easy. You are to do your part. There's no question about it. God will bless as he chooses. You will earn as God allows. And hopefully you are good, hardworking, faithful employees or business owners or whatever it is you do. And you will take the abundance of income that he gives you far more than you need for just food and clothing. And you will think about how you will then invest that Yes, you take care of your needs with that. That is a blessing of God. That is one way God provides for you by you doing your part and not being lazy. But you have more than you need. What are you supposed to do with that? Excess. How should you manage that resource that God has entrusted to you? So that's what we're going to see. How should you invest? Well, it starts off in verse number 33. It says, sell that you have and give alms. Sell that you have and give alms. So next week we're going to have a big garage sale. No, we're not going to have a garage Here's the idea. It's just, you, could, you, could, you can apply sell that you have in a lot of different ways. The bottom line is this. If you have excesses, we all have excesses, we do. Don't keep it all for yourself. The whole idea is, among that which is extra, be willing to give it. To give alms Okay, that's kind of an old English way of saying giving an offering for people who are poor. Okay, there'd be the beggars that sit at the gate of the temple and they would beg and ask for alms. They would ask for a gift for the poor, for people who don't have, okay? And, and he says, look, sell, use your excesses. Don't just keep it for yourself and give. And the idea of the alms giving, it's not just for the people who are poverty stricken in this world. By the way, there's billions of people like that. Jesus said the poor you have with you always, okay? But the poor, we have to understand, have to be those in connection with the kingdom of God. That's the context. We're seeking the kingdom of God. And so literally there are billions of people on this planet that are poor spiritually. They have nothing concerning the kingdom of God. And we have to take the excesses that he has given us and invest in the kingdom so these people who are poor spiritually can become rich through Jesus Christ whether or not they ever get material riches on this earth or not. We share the extra for the sake of the poor, but not physically, although that may, may apply as well, but the poor spiritually. That is the goal. Remember, Jesus Christ was rich. He became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. He was willing to do without so others could get it. That's how he's asking us to live as well. That's how we invest. Why we invest is the last half of verse number 33. Very clearly, provide your, listen, look at the words of scripture. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. By giving, by taking our excesses and giving so that spiritually poor people can get the gospel and be saved. 
It says here that what you are doing if you participate is you provide for yourselves bags. That's kind of like storage. That's kind of like savings account, isn't it? I'm going I'm to send my money to the kingdom, but in a, in a sense, what I'm really doing also is I am laying up in store for myself treasures in heaven that will never be able to be stolen, that will never rust or vanish away, that nobody can damage or steal or take away and no economic system is going to crash and the, and the bottom fall out from under you. So let's just be real practical about it. Why would I want to give to God's mission? Well, maybe because I'm selfish. I thought you're not supposed to be selfish. Well, in the sense that maybe I'm just, let's use a different S word. Maybe because I'm smart. Maybe because rather than investing in taking mine ease after age 65 or whatever the magic number is, I invest in something that will last much, much longer. It'll last in eternity. And there are literally eternal rewards for people who invest in God's kingdom. You really believe that? I mean, just ask yourself that question. Do you really believe that? Because that's what he says. And if you really believe it, you know what that does? It just frees you up. Because we all fight the tendency, not only of our flesh, we fight the tendency of the day in which we live, the spirit of the age of Laodicea that says, keep, hoard, you barely can make it, the economy's terrible, everything's falling apart, the sky is falling. Keep it all. You never know. And it's just, I'm not saying that there aren't real economic problems in the world. Of course there are. I'm saying that you live above that level. You're a child of God. And if we can, by the way, the very beginning of the whole story, the guy went to Jesus, hey, Jesus, give me more wealth. And he said, what are you asking me for? Beware of covetousness. Don't let yourself fall in that trap, man. Invest in something that will pay dividends to you far longer than just 70, 80, 90, 100 years. It's well worth it. I mean, when you give to God's mission, you're kind of saving it for yourself. You're just saving it for later rather than for now. And the level to which you really believe that will be reflected in your giving record. That's, that's how that can play out. But regardless of how it has played out in the past leading up until today, you can today begin to decide what you want to do moving forward. That's like anything in life, right? Regardless if you've blown it or done great, it doesn't really matter. What are you going to do today going forward, right? And so we're going to look at three specific application points. And these three specific application points really summarize for us exactly what we need to understand. By the way, each and every one of us here, each of you will, absolutely will fit into one of these three categories. Everybody is in one of these three categories, no exceptions whatsoever. The first one is you might be like the 12 disciples. 
The 12 disciples that got this message directly from Jesus Christ, okay, became the 12 apostles. And we have studied in the past how the word apostle literally means from the Greek root, one who is sent. The word that we use in English comes not from a Greek root, but rather a Latin root, and the word that we use is missionary. And so you may respond like the disciples who become the apostles slash missionaries that they are just going to go for it, man. I am all in with this thing. I am absolutely going to forsake all. I'm going to forsake savings accounts. I'm going to forsake retirement savings. I'm going to forsake, I'm going to put my, hand, my, my life, excuse me, fully and completely in God's hands. And God has to take care of me or I'm in big trouble. And I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to go wherever he sends me and I'm going to preach the gospel and I'm going to be on the front lines and I'm going to be a part of this thing. Some of you, probably just a few, I get it. Some of you are going to say, I'm in. That's what I want to do. If that's what you're thinking, you know, maybe I'm not sure, I'm still thinking about it. Okay, cool. If you're thinking, that might be you. Can I just tell you? You know where it's going to start? It's going to start by proving you're not covetous. By even now, with whatever level of wealth God's entrusted to you, you sacrificially give to God's mission. By the way, does that sound nutty? It can be done. I've done it. And so when I'm in my late 20s and I, and I finally got out of college and got a decent job as an engineer and I'm single and I don't have that many expenses and Bible student, enthusiastic, wanted to be a part of reaching the world, didn't know how. Jesus could come any day, which he could have and still may. I just decided. For me, again, I didn't have a lot of responsibility. Physically speaking, it was just me. I was alone. I chose, and of course, just out of college, you know how it is, every college student is poor. By the time I got my first job, no matter what the income, I was rich, man, I had it made. And so I get my paycheck. The government would take about a third off the top. You know how that goes. I needed about a third to live on, pay off my school loans. And the other third, I gave away. Every paycheck, every month, I ended the month on purpose with zero balance, no bank account. I am not a financial planner. I'm not, don't come to me for financial advice. I'm not that guy. I'm just telling you, I put my life out there and I stand here as a visible illustration of one who has not missed meals. God can do this, man. That's some of you. Many of you may be in the second category. Like the Philippian church, generous supporters. Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 to 17. Now you Philippians, Paul says this, Know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, so Paul is the traveling evangelist, right? No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only, for even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessity. Here is the church providing for the necessity of the missionary so that he can carry out the gospel. Uh, Not because I desire a gift, Paul says, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Again, that's the provide for yourselves bags in heaven that, that nobody can corrupt and nobody can steal. That's fruit to your eternal account. 
And so many of us will fall in the category that say, hey, look, we want to be generous supporters of others. God didn't call me to go, but I want to be a part, man. I know God's blessed me. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ is the ultimate missionary. The Lord Jesus Christ had a group of wealthy women who provided for his ministry financially. In Luke chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna and many others, it says, which ministered unto him, the Lord Jesus, of their substance. And you may be here and saying, look, God's not calling me to go and to give my life in that way. I'm thankful for those people that do, but I know God's blessed me. And I definitely want to be a part of what's going on. And so I will absolutely help out. I absolutely want to do my part to willingly, sacrificially, systematically be a part of supporting the lives of the people in category number one. Amen? That's what we want to do. And so we can give to that through our church, through missions and that sort of thing. The third response is, not like the disciples and not like the Philippian church, but like the nations of the world. And some of you might be in that category. I hope not. You may just say, forget it, man. I'm not falling for that slick sales pitch, man. You just want our money. Okay. <laughs> Live it up. I mean, really, I promise you, nobody is coming to your house and taking it from you. Promise. But it ought to concern you that if that's your response, that according to Jesus Christ, your response is the response of a lost man. That ought to concern you. In a second, I'm going to pray, okay? And here's what I want you to do, because I don't want anybody to be embarrassed, but man, I would like for you on your notes there, if you've got a pen or pull a pencil out of the pew, circle the response that you believe God is leading you to do. And just keep it. Just circle the thing you think God's leading you to do. You know what? You may not have been faithful up until now in your life, but the Bible makes it very clear in verse number 34. It says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You can guide your heart by beginning to give your treasure. You give your treasure, your heart follows your treasure. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It does not say where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. You begin by placing your treasure in things that matter and your heart will follow. We're not going to take the time to study. If you would go home and read verses 35 down to 43, basically it talks about another parable, how Jesus will come back. And when he comes back, it basically says, how will he find you? And that's the question I want you to consider as you're about to circle one of those three things for you. It's just between you and God, what you circle. How do I want Jesus Christ, if he were to come back, how do I want him to find me? In category number one, in category number two, in category number three. Because everybody is in one of those three categories. Absolutely, no question about it. Now we're going to pray. And normally when I bow my head and pray, ushers get up and leave, the band comes up on stage. I don't want ushers to leave and I don't want the band to come up. Just consider what we've talked about and just pray with me for a second. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have 